Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast summer replay edition. This is the seventh uh, kind of specially picked episode um, as we dive back into like the catalog of the 300 episodes um, we've recorded here at the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Um, Last week, uh, I was honoring my friend Brady Manriquez because I picked out one of his favorite episodes when I texted him like, hey, man, which ones stick out to you? Um, this week, though, I am picking out one of my absolute favorite interviews I have ever done on the show. Um, this was from a conversation with Gavin Hennigan. Uh, I think Gavin puts the what's the uh, what's the beer commercial where it's like most interesting man on the earth or whatever. I think Gavin is, uh, he put, he gives that guy a run for his money. That's all I'm going to say, dude. This dude is like so cool, so ridiculously adventurous and awesome and inspiring to me. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things in this episode from his day job, which is, uh, diving down and working on oil rigs and living basically down underneath, <laughs> underneath the ocean, um, to the Iditarod 350, the run. Um, and we also talk about what it was like to row across the Atlantic ocean. This episode has it all. Gavin's a really interesting, fascinating human being. Uh, and I cannot wait to share it. In fact, when I've been asked by a handful of people like, Hey, are there any episodes that stick out or that you know you would kind of recommend if people are jumping on your show for the first time and uh gavin's is definitely one of those ones uh that i mention um when people ask because i think that just the stories this guy tells and how he tells them um were endlessly uh, fascinating to me. So hope you all enjoy the episode as much as I did. Um, let's just dive right in. This is like a Bigfoot podcast. It's the seventh summer replay with Gavin Hennigan. Dude, you've done some crazy stuff, uh, including something you just got back from. So I'm excited to go into like all of this stuff, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good to be here, Chris. Yeah. Cheers. Well, welcome back from like the depths of the wilderness in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, just uh, just got back there. Well, it's nearly two weeks ago now. Back to France, to Chamonix, where I am now. Uh, pretty much straight into lockdown. Yeah. Here, which is uh, obviously unprecedented times at the moment. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was actually out in Alaska for a month altogether. I went out there and. Um, middle of February and had a couple of weeks out there before I started the Iditarod Trail Invitational, which is a 350 mile um, race on foot. You can actually do it on ski or bike, but I did it on foot. That's awesome, man. Well, so did you guys, were you hearing things while you're out there about how, you know, crazy everything was getting with the lockdowns and the virus and stuff? <clears throat> Well, it's sort of like, actually, we, we had a bunch of cases here in the valley, well, just the next valley over, like just before I left. And, you know, at that point, people were starting to get a little bit scared, but there was no, like no, people couldn't fathom, 
you know what was going to happen yeah. with the lockdowns and stuff and I, yeah i just got re- I, I was just really lucky i suppose the whole thing just kind of you know i finished um i finished the the, tra- the Dirt Road trail on um in McGraw on the uh, i think it was the, the 6th or the 7th and, you know i flew out on the i think it was the 9th back to anchorage um and then on the 10th i flew back on the 11th and it was like four or five days later that we went into lockdown so wow. yeah i was i was very very lucky you know because the the people who went on to Nome, because you, you, they did our trail goes all the way from just outside Anchorage um, all the way to Nome. It's a thousand miles and they have a, a shorter version, which sounds a bit crazy. It was 300, uh, 350 miles and then they have the longer version and there was a bunch of people still out doing that. And yeah, they a couple, three bikers finished um, yeah. after 22 days, but a, a bunch of other people had to be turned back because... A couple of reasons, uh, you know, they ran into a lot of trouble with um, not being allowed into towns because of the virus, you know, and also the, the weather was uh, really crazy with the sea ice and stuff up uh, near the coast. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, just, yeah, just really delighted that I got to go there, you know, kind of uh, have the adventure and then get back in one piece. And I'm pretty happy to be uh, locked down right now. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, how how was the Alaskan experience like in a nutshell? uh just wild the whole thing was absolutely insane I, I like i went over there early a couple of weeks beforehand um and i rented a camper truck so i kind of wanted to see a bit of alaska and hang out and I had a few connections over there and um you know the people over there were so amazing um i met up with um just a guy that i knew from split from splitboarding because i do a lot of um backcountry snowboarding and stuff like that so i met up with a couple of guys through that and um they were just you know so good to me like um a friend of mine um uh, Anson you know let me stay in his place in Girdwood so I went snowboarding down there and then my other friend Ben he had he you know took me snow machining for the first time out to this glacier we went inside this glacier um, and then I had another connection through an Irish friend and she really looked after me out there like they uh, her and her family you know uh, the couple of nights before the race you know they, uh, they I went and stayed with them and they you know cooked me a big meal and, and brought me to the start of the race and stuff so you know the whole uh, that whole pre-experience really kind of made it for me. Whatever about the the actual race itself and and, and that whole um, <laughs> um, side of it, like the people up there were just really amazing. And sort of that really, you know, was the kind of cherry on top for me. Just having the having the sort of the hospitality of the of the Alaskan people, which was was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got connected through Ryan and Emily Wanless. Mm. And I, I've talked to them uh, post race now. Um, okay. They mentioned just the community aspect of the whole. I did around like what yeah, did you find so, with that? yeah that was yeah i mean obviously i was talking there about the the few people that i knew outside of the race but the, yeah the actual the, the the community people then within the race i mean it was yeah pretty close close net bunch of people we had a big kind of meetup um beforehand uh the day or the two nights beforehand we had a big kind of get together and you know, everyone just hanging out and stuff and then there was another local guy Lars who who was really helpful to me uh, online beforehand and he you know gave me a whole lot of guidance around the tra- trail because like the the distances are off and it's actually closer to three it's more more 300 miles than 350 but it could potentially be longer and um, so he was really helpful and then um I met, met up with him as well and did a couple of training days and yeah just really really great to be you know just sort of connected into all those people and then like all the volunteers um, um, at the checkpoints and stuff, you know, there are a lot of people that have done the race before and people who just want to be kind of, you know, involved in the sort of community aspect of it, which, which is, um, which is great. And then obviously the people that I raced with was, that was, you know, it was just, um, um, it was just amazing to be kind of constantly meeting people out there, you know, even though you're out there on your own for long periods of time, but you always run into 
um you know a biker or another person on foot so it was pretty cool yeah well and then when you do your it this is another person crazy enough to go up to alaska and run or 350 <laughs> or bike 300 you know what i mean so it's like like-minded <laughs> individuals that you're meeting absolutely yeah i mean you're you're just hanging out with people who've just got other crazy ideas about doing <laughs> other stuff and yeah it's sort of uh you just get a lot more inspiration do you and you sort of you don't have any boundaries in around, you know, other things you could do. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to go back and go to Nome eventually, you know, um, <laughs> uh, whatever happens with all this uh, COVID-19 stuff. But like, yeah, meeting some of the people that have been all that I've gone to Nome before and some of the bikers and stuff like that. Yeah, that was super inspirational for me. So, yeah, it's just it's great to be, you know, involved in that in that sort of um, uh, community. Yeah, I got to ask, like, what other like you're saying people out on the trail and I've experienced this in ultras too, where you just hear people talk and they're talking about their next thing and like the next crazy thing they're going to do. And I'm like, you're in the middle of Alaska, like fighting <laughs> moose, presumably. And like, what, what are people talking about doing? Uh, well, this is kind of the beforehand. I, I had a couple of conversations about, um, yeah, about stuff like that. But uh, yeah, like you said, when you're when you're out there, it's probably the last thing on your mind. And, and even since I come back, you know, I'm yeah, I'm kind of I have plans to do some stuff in the summer, but I'm I'm pretty willing to just shelve all that with 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 this COVID nineteen stuff, and you know, just kind of focus on what's important, you know. So yeah, um, but yeah, I know you're dead right. Like when you're out there and you're in the midst of it, um, yeah, you're you're just trying to you know, you're just trying to get to the finish. You're just trying to survive and yeah, trying to plan <laughs> plan other adventures and stuff, but. Um, but you have a lot of time to think at the same time. So, you know, you sort of, yeah, you do kind of, you know, um, you do, your mind does start to wander and dream of other stuff as well. <laughs> what, did you have any, uh, like, low moments or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, w when you get into those spots, and I guess we can talk about this, like, on a wider scale yeah. with all your adventures. But when you get those, like, sinking feelings, like, how do you how do you stay positive? How do you get yourself out of it? Well, I don't really. That, I think that's the yeah. whole point, you know, because I think, you know, there's a lot nowadays, a lot of people are like, they kind of like kind of like forcing positivity down people's throats. And like, there's, there's a point in these races where it's going to get dark. And, you know, if you're not ready for that, um, you know, there's no amount of like positivity is going to, you know, like change that. So you just have to be willing to go into a dark place. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, like with myself, you know, I'm kind of I realize that's going to be there's going to be some grim times out there. And it's just to, you know, kind of embrace that and, and, and just go with it. And then it'll eventually get better at some stage, usually when you finish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah, I had some pretty, pretty shaky moments. Like, like I, the, the, this year, the, the, the weather was crazy. You know, I'm, I'm sure you heard about it. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of snow in the beginning. It slowed things down. I think, I, you know, we were wearing snowshoes for like 50% of the race, probably more actually, probably more like 70, 75. So it was a lot slower. I kind of, you know, looking at the trail in the beginning and uh, when I first planned to go out there, I, I kind of thought I could do it in about five days, you know, it took me six and a half. Um, so like I, I, I kind of had an idea in my head, like how much sleep I'd need, but I ended up having to like pack a little bit extra food in the beginning. And, and, you know, I, I sort of pushed it like with the sleep deprivation as I always do. Cause I'm just that way inclined. <laughs> I, I, I always go, go right to the edge. And then, yeah, the last, um, the last day, the last 18 hours was, was a real struggle because I did the last um, 50 miles in one push um, in 18 hours. And it was like, yeah, I was really fighting to try and like, you know, um, stay sort of coherent, you know, with where I was and what was going on. I was 
hallucinating extremely. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was dark. I'd left the last checkpoint at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and then I pushed all the way through the day and then into the night and I got to, got to the finish like two o'clock in the morning, but about 10 o'clock at night, you know, I was completely kind of swinging all over the place. I wasn't really, you know, walking in a straight line and, uh, I couldn't really look up because all the trees were just like forming, you know, shapes and I was seeing people and I just, it just was so uncontrollable. I could literally just look at my feet and there was a couple of moments where I literally, I, I, I was like asleep on my feet and blacking out and, you know, I had to like smack myself in the face and I was like putting snow, snow across my face, trying to wake up and kind of shouting and screaming, like telling myself to, you know, keep it together. And, you know, I kind of was getting really paranoid then because there was a guy a couple of years ago who was his first time doing the race as well. And he was in the lead which I was as well, um, and he uh, was really sleep-deprived, and then he unhooked his sled and kind of walked off, and then he had to get rescued in the end. Wow. Um, and, you know, it was it was quite uh, quite a gnarly situation, but he didn't, you know, he didn't get frostbite, and it wasn't that, wasn't that cold. And um, So I kind of had that in the back of my head. I listened to, like, a, a 10 Junk Miles uh, podcast with him, um about that and i you know that was in the back of my mind but like i kind of was at that point where I, I was i was really paranoid like you know everyone was watching my tracker and they knew i was falling apart and like my head was totally gone and i was just like trying to hold it together and of course like nobody there was like when i got to the finish line there was like one person there the volunteer had come out like everyone was asleep like nobody cared that i was finishing just single clap <laughs> Yeah, yeah good job man <laughs> yeah yeah so like i was like in my head it was this, i'd have built up like oh they're gonna come and like rescue me in a minute and they're gonna be like your race is over but uh that's the the nature of the uh the organization there with um with the Adidas trail invitational they there's very there's like no um you know they don't tell you you can or can't do anything or can't leave a checkpoint and you know you're on your own out there and it's it's really evident like even before i went out there I um you know I knew we were getting spot trackers you know the and I have a spot tracker myself but they were giving giving one to us and you know your spot tracker you've got your SOS button and all that so I thought oh that's that's cool we'll have that little kind of safety net and then I actually had a inreach um, explorer the Garmin explorer and I gave it to one of the other guys who needed to contact his wife every day so we get there anyway and I get the they hand out the spot trackers but the, the little black ones they're like the ones that are people that have no buttons on them yeah they're the yeah. ones that people use to put on I don't know like their boat or something if they wanted to keep an eye on it in a in a in a marina that it hasn't like you know coming off come off a mooring or something so they're real basic so there's, there was no I had no safety net so you know there was points where I was yeah like completely in the middle of nowhere and if something had gone wrong like I, I wouldn't have been able to press any button or anything so um, you know, I didn't have that at all. And that was a, that was a, obviously, um, a concern. Like, so I, you know, I had to be pretty smart about how it, how it did things, you know, but like I said, there right at the end, um, nearly the wheels nearly came off, but I, you know, I managed to just get over the line, you know, how do you, where do you find the bravery for, you know, putting yourself out there where you're, there's no safety net, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard one, I suppose. I like, um, like obviously, like anyone who does these things, like you like the challenge, and it's just the sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe it's a bit of stupidity. I don't know. Like, I mean, when I, so I was in the middle of the race. I was, um, um, I got to Puntilla Lake, which is rainy, just before rainy pass, about halfway through the race, um, and before that, it had been quite a tough section. There'd been a lot of wind, and it was like, uh, you know. Well, a bit of a windstorm actually there's like these kind of ground blizzards and it was pretty intense um and then i was kind of in this race with um this other guy rob henderson um 
and he was he'd won it last year and two of us were kind of you know we were, we were kind of moving together but we were also definitely in a race um and we got to this puntilla lake um checkpoint and we 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 rested there for a while but he had a little bit of an achilles problem and he you know he's saying it's a bit sore and he's not sure if he was going to scratch or something so um we had a rest anyway and then we both got up and kind of left at the same time he left ahead of me and we were heading up rainy pass and rainy pass is like the kind of crux of the whole um route really you kind of go right up over um <clears throat> the alaska range you know the kind of lower side of it um you're still up over like three thousand foot um <clears throat> and it, you know it's uh it's tricky enough but like you add in this like crazy windstorm like 50 mile an hour winds and like sort of negative, I think it was negative 15 or something. So there was like a negative 50 wind chill. Um, so, you know, and we were leaving there at like five o'clock in the evening to go up there over up there at nighttime. Um, and I, on the way up there, like 20 minutes after we left, like Rob was, I met Rob coming back the other direction. And he was like, look, my Achilles is, is I'm not going to risk it, you know, because obviously it's a, you know, committing part of the route. I'm going to head back to the lodge. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, say goodbyes. I said, hopefully, you know, you have a rest and, you know, get back out there in a few hours or something and then i headed off on my own so at that point like i was completely on my own like up until then i was you know we were kind of close enough to each other at times and he and he was he he was a, a veteran he'd done he'd done the race last year so um you know and the funny thing is well funny kind of stupid thing is we're well, going back to there is that when we had the briefing for the race the one thing the race director had said to us like if you're a rookie um, don't go over the pass on your own and especially not at night and here I was like walking up to go over the pass so, like as it's getting dark you know in this like 50 mile an hour like windstorm like with everything on like all my, my expedition down like my face mask and I, I literally just couldn't stop I just had to say I was like right I just got to keep basically walking forward and just not stop and I and, and you know it got dark and I kept going it was it was a brightish night there was a sliver of moon you know there wasn't any cloud so i could definitely see where the pass was and you know i just i looked at some photos and i knew there was a general bit of a trail but it was blown out a lot of the time you know because it was like this windstorm like the there was no no marks you know like um the snowmobile tracks or no tire marks or anything so um it was quite it was quite scary as well at the same time um but like as i was walking up there i was thinking to myself like this is this is quite literally this could literally be the stupidest thing i've ever done or else you know it could be something that i can get through you know so i really had to kind of jump myself into um into the moment and really just just say right this is you know i need to be on my game as much as possible here and i need to uh, you know make good decisions and, and and not mess up so um you know i got i got through the night like it was a, a, a battle like i got to the top of the pass at like three o'clock in the morning i'd lost the trail at that point i was wading through snow up to my knees and my feet were really really cold at this stage you know i was like you know really starting to get worried like if i don't get these warm in the next you know sort of 20 minutes half an hour like i could get frostbite so i, I got out some um hand warmers and cracked them and i stuffed them into my um into my shoes and um i got over the other side then and the trail the wind died down on the other side and the trail was you know much more prominent so i just got on the trail and i just started running as hard as i could down the trail for like about an hour and i just you know started to really warm up then my toes got warm and stuff and you know so i made it i made it through that section like so yeah there was a lot of a lot of stuff like that going on you know that's crazy man well so yeah. i know you know, you don't just wake up one day and then do the Iditarod. Like I know there's a, a journey and like incremental steps. So how did yeah. you, how did you get into adventuring just in general? I mean, 
Uh, well, I suppose just to like quickly go back, I know we haven't got all the time in the world to tell yeah. my whole life story, but like I uh, like when I was younger, I had a I had a substance use abuse problem. You know, I was um, a drug a drug and alcohol um, addict uh, uh, as a teenager, and I ended up in rehab at twenty one. So, um, like, you know, I kind of had a lot of trouble with myself. You know, I, like I had a suicide attempt. I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I was gay at, at the age of like you know eighteen and stuff like that. And like I struggle, you know, immensely with all that stuff. Like, come from a, uh, you know, my parents split up. Like, my dad was an alcoholic. You know, like quite a like a kind of you know sort of tough kind of um, period. Like when I was growing up. Um, and like I came out, came out the other side of that, um, you know, at 21, I kind of realized that like my life wasn't really going anywhere. And, and I ended up, you know, going to rehab and, you know, just to, not to sort of brush over the whole thing. But um, like a few months after coming out of rehab, like I was still struggling because, you know, at 21 years old, um, you know, trying to <laughs> stay off drink, drinking drugs is tough. And I actually went surfing for the first time. Um, and that was kind of was the sort of. Um, the start of adventure for me like i i got like completely addicted to surfing in the same way i would have been addicted to drugs but it was something really really positive um, and my life completely changed after that you know and i went on this complete um you know quest of adventure i suppose from from that from a few months after that um up until up until this point so i started off with surfing um you know i, I uh, i'm from the west coast of ireland like which is like it's got some of the best waves in the world so you know all of a sudden this place that i my place of where i grew up that i sort of hated and wanted to get out of is all of a sudden became this kind of treasure treasure land of of, of really good surf and i just you know had this uh, amazing positive thing to focus on so it that you know adventure and sort of you know all that sort of stuff really saved uh saved my life you know and, and then just one thing led to another i i I went to Australia a few years down the line um, to work over there. You know, I, I didn't have any education. I left school young and like I, you know, sort of no qualifications and stuff like that. But I, I qualify. I went to training school in Australia to be a commercial diver. Um, so then I've had this job for the last sort of fifteen years where I've been um, working as a, a, a heavy construction uh, diver all around the world on the oil rigs. So I've had like this pretty crazy existence where like I fly all over the world uh, to different parts of the world and, and um, you know, dive down to really deep depths, like down to like, you know, 600 foot and do like uh, construction work. And then I get like, you know, a few months off and I go on like different like surf trips. And then I got into um, snowboarding through surfing, which is why I ended up in Chamonix. Um, and, you know, I did a lot of like expedition stuff to that, got into like some sort of a lot of mountaineering and stuff. And then about six years ago now, I started doing more kind of competitive, like kind of races and stuff like adventure races um, and then got into like the winter ultras. I went and did a um, the a winter ultra in, in Canada and then I did another one and I'm there. And, you know, one thing led to another with that. <laughs> and then I went and uh, rode across the Atlantic, which obviously is a, is a big deal. <laughs> So yeah, I've that's the craziest journey, man. Like <laughs> it's just so many different areas that you're taking. Yeah, on. I know. Sorry, it's hard to squeeze it all in. I no, it's amazing. A, you've only got a, a bit of time, you know. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to like you know start talking and, and like three hours later end up back at this point. So um, <laughs> no, yeah, man. it's a lot to squeeze in. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride, you know. Well, is there a little bit? And I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but when you go out and you go surfing. It's kind of weird because you you have the ocean and it's just completely this thing that you have no control over whatsoever. 
but you do have control over your own actions with the surfboard. And there's, there's like a weird feeling when you get that and you understand, like, it's kind of like an analogy just for life in general, where it's like, I do have control over myself, but there's all these other giant things I have no control over. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that goes back to like, you know, the concept I was saying there before, like about, you know, that sort of surrender, surrendering to, um, you know, sort of, you know, sometimes you're negative, like, cause you're going to have that low point, you know, and, um, it's just about, um, sort of being present and, and sort of, and, you know, getting through that. And, and yeah, like the, I mean, surf, the surf thing is, um, is, it's a perfect analogy, you know, it's like, you, you know, you can't, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, you know? So, I mean, that's, yeah, you could, you can't get more spot on like for, for, for a bit of a life lesson there, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I see it to like such a lesser extent, like a majorly lesser extent, but with my daughter, you know, she's just learning to ride the bike and we'll yeah. go out on bike rides and I just see the complete joy she has. Like just crew, like, I don't know. It's just something with like, there's this one thing that I have control over, um, that, that will yeah. lead me into adventure that I think is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so when you go on the deep sea dives, like mm. th- that sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It has its moments. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely not your normal nine to five. You know, I, I do, I do like specialized, uh, deep diving. It's called saturation diving. So, um, we actually go inside a chamber and we get compressed inside a chamber and we live in there for um, up to 28 days at a time. Um, so it's quite bizarre because it's inside a inside a diving boat, diving vessel um, called a DSV, diving support vessel. And we're housed in there under pressure. And then we go into this thing called a diving bell and that takes us down to the bottom. And we get out of that and we go to work for like six hours. Then we come back to the diving bell and that takes us back to the chamber the chamber's tiny like it's just a cylindrical um uh, chamber with you know a couple of bunk beds and then an eating an eating area and then a shower and a toilet and that's it so it's just it's you can't even you know, there's like this you can't go for a run you can do some bodyweight exercises you know that's it um so um <laughs> if you want some um covid19 isolation um, training, uh, training. training tips um, I'm, I'm, I'm your i'm your man yeah. where does your mind go to i mean how many people are you in there with so there'd be sorry yeah there's teams of three usually so we're in a in 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 a chamber with three of us and then there'd be um another few chambers it could be 12 altogether so there's kind of round the clock um four teams of three divers um you know working um so yeah you're 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 you know within a few feet of two other guys um for yeah a whole 28 days so um yeah you you learn how to (laughs) you know get on with people how do you how i mean what do you guys do to like pass the time um yeah like we just you know bring in a whole load of movies books and stuff like that and um you know we get some internet down there but it's pretty limited um usually plan 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 some adventures and stuff like that um yeah but yeah it's it can be pretty boring (laughs) (laughs) have you ever brought a movie down that you like hadn't watched before and then halfway through be like man this movie sucks but now we're stuck (laughs) with it (laughs) <laughs> yeah i try it's funny because i'm watching a whole lot of box sets now but i usually don't watch stuff like that when i'm home because yeah. um, i'm obviously outdoors you know yeah. in the valley here in chamonix like if, you know doing stuff but um i usually try to save stuff for work but uh yeah i, I, don't, I don't know when i'm going back to work with this covid19 stuff and yeah i'm just I'm, I'm watching all the stuff that i usually watch at work right now does it give you a better appreciation for the moments you're able to actually get out there and go explore oh 100 i mean like 
yeah, like even the fact that I'm locked down now in my apartment, like it's it's not that bad because I mean the chamber there's you're very limited inside a small chamber. You know, I can still we can still go out out here for an hour a day in Germany. Yeah. You know, so like I don't see the light of day for twenty days at a time. You know, so um yeah you know you just and we're breathing a different atmosphere as well so our our, our the gas that we breathe is like it's not air it's helium so it's helium um, and oxygen mix so it's like a completely different atmosphere you know it's quite it's quite bizarre if you try and like get people to try and say like have you ever been in another atmosphere and they're like i don't understand the question because the earth's atmosphere is the earth's atmosphere but like you're in a helix you're inside another atmosphere which is like a totally different breathing gas you know so obviously we sound like chipmunks which is one of the side effects because we're breathing helium i didn't um, want to ask because i didn't want to sound <laughs> stupid yeah yeah it's quite funny when you when you when you're when you first start doing it but it's it's a bit annoying after a while because um yeah sometimes it's quite hard to understand the other guys you know especially if you're the deeper you are, the the higher the percentage of helium. So it's quite hard to uh, understand uh, people when you're talking to them. That's crazy, man. Uh, Did you, yeah. I mean, thinking back to when you're a kid, were you ever like, okay, obviously my career is going to be a deep sea diver. <laughs> no, no, I don't have like one of those things where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I dreamt of being a diver at the age <laughs> of whatever. No, I kind of, I'm not definitely not the type of person. I'm, I'm quite open to uh, new experiences. I don't really have any set like set goals you know like yeah. even with when it comes to like my adventure stuff like i'm just i just leave myself open for to be inspired you know um and i just kind of go down the whatever pops up if i like the idea that i go for it you know so um i think that's kind of what happened with the dive and it just was like you know i didn't really i didn't really think about it too much i just um i just was like you know that sounds cool i want to do it and it was the exact same thing with the when it came to rowing the atlantic because i was like you know, going through the airport on the way to work and I was, you know, usually buy a few books and magazines and I just grabbed this book about this guy who rode the Atlantic and I'd heard about it before, but I never really knew anything about it. And I, and, you know, I took the, the book with me into the chamber and I, you know, I, I read this book, um, I think, what was it called? Uh, Salt, Sweat and Tears by this guy called Adam Rackley. Really good book because it's about him rowing the Atlantic um, as a pair, but he kind of goes into the history of the sport um, and really documents all that as well. And he goes and interviews a bunch of people, um, you know, like older guys who'd, you know, rode like, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So just with that whole sort of history and then his his experience, um, that book really captivated me. And um, I, you know, read the book and then I was like, you know, started looking in, looking into it online. And then next thing, like two months later, I'd signed up to do this, uh, um, this race across the Atlantic, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Have you ever rode before? No. <laughs> no yeah so i mean yeah i looked into it a, f- a fair bit and like it, it wasn't sort of um like roll like kind of like flat water rolling technique it wasn't yeah. like a it wasn't a dead set requirement like they actually there was a couple of people in the race the year before i did it i had they got some couple of guys who were like a, olympic trialists rowers Amer- and actually american guys and they you know got them because they were like you know really strong rowers and then one of them had to get rescued because he got like severely seasick, you know? So like it was more important to be, you know, uh, have like expedition skills and, 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 and be mm. a, a bit of a, more of a seaman, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, I suppose I had that going for me. Like I've worked, you know, I worked, I've worked at sea for 15 years. So, you know, um, you know, I could, I had some basic, um, some basic sort of skills like that, you know, that were, which, which, which were much more transferable than, um, you know, the ability to, to row, you know? Yeah. Well, and you probably had a different perspective because when I first read about, uh, your crossing of the Atlantic, I, the first thing that came to my mind was like, most people never experience that type of 
isolation completely by themselves in the middle yeah. of nowhere. And, but now like kind of understanding a little bit about, you know, your deep sea diving, it kind of, you probably came into it th- with a totally different perspective than anybody else in that race. Yeah. Because for one, I did it on my own. So I was completely solo. Now I probably would have been actually a really good person to have as a teammate or go into a team because I mean, I, I work in a team environment. I, yeah. you know, I spend all this time in the chamber with other guys, you know, but like, that's my job. I get paid to do that. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to fork out, you know, and then potentially get into a boat and then, you know, I ended up paying this person or the other people for whatever amount of days. Like, so, you know, I wanted to do, do the, do it on my own. And it was just, it was less complicated as well in a lot of ways, but obviously more, a lot harder, you know, I mean, going solo is, 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 you know, it's quite, it's quite ridiculous. Like I mean, there's the other people, the other people who do like in, in pairs and threes and fours are, they're all like, Oh my God, you guys are crazy. You know? So <laughs> yeah. What's yeah, uh so. what's like the start line of the race? Like, like how many people are doing this and, and how, how quickly do you lose them? You know, when you're by yourself? Yeah. So the race has been going on, on and off for quite a while. I think it's nearly yeah, since before 2010 anyway, at least, at least 10 years. But it's been re- it's getting really popular the last few years. They they um they used to run it every two years. Now they run it every year. So they've got upwards of like you know twenty thirty. I think they had forty boats this year. So there's quite quite a lot of boats, and it's anything from like five man, uh you know four man, three man, two man to a solo. Um, so the year I did it, there was uh, I think there was about thirteen boats altogether, okay. and a mixture of like solo solo up to four man. <clears throat> um and yeah it's like this marina in la gomera which is one of the canary islands off africa and um they actually when you start off you it's quite a involved process obviously you know so you know it's very committing you know just you know getting a boat and like getting the boat like shipped to to la gomera um you know like it's a huge investment like it costs such such an amount of money um you know you need to do a bunch of training courses because they want you to you know be sort of you know um have like your kind of day skipper and stuff of that and you know sort of your basic survival stuff you know so there's a lot of stuff of that involved and then there's a lot of like what they call scrutineering so they they kind of make sure you uh, the race organizers make sure you've got like you know all your mandatory kit and like the mandatory kit is just like it's just 20 pages long i mean you know you thought it was bad you know doing a doing an ultra with the, you know uh, you know uh, with a with a you know 10 liter salmon vest on your back like this is just like you know this is a ridiculous amount of stuff like you've got you have to have like 90 days of wow uh, 90 days of food so that's and that's like 6000 calories a day and you got to like so that's like you know f- that's basically like four four like thousand calorie you know uh freeze dried meals and then like another 2000 calories of like snack food so you know what I mean? It's just it's hundreds of meals, and you know a certain amount of those have to be wet rations where you know that you don't need to add water to them. You know you, you know um, so that then you have to have like this water maker to you know desalinate water. Then you have to have like spares for that, and then yeah. you have to have a hand pump water maker in case that breaks. And then if that if, if that breaks again, then you have to have well you have to have ballast water. So you've got like sixty liters of ballast water. You know, and then it's just a, you know, that's just, um, you know, scratching the surface. There's just so much other little bits and pieces, you know, you, you have to have. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, that whole process of, like, you know, getting to the start line. You know, like, I got my boat probably, uh, it was 12 months beforehand. And, you know, sort of <clears throat> had to, like, you know, learn all the um, ins and outs of that and do training rows. And I had to complete yeah. a certain amount of hours and stuff like that. So, yeah, when you do start, like, it is it is a bit of a relief in one sense because it's been <laughs> such a huge buildup. Um, and then, it, yeah, like um, there's, there's a you know, obviously a big crowd of people there when you first start, and then 
you know, there's the other boats are there and everyone starts off kind of like five minutes in intervals. And then within like an hour, you're just like completely on your own. And then that was it. I was on my own for the next 49 days. Wow. How often are you row? Like how many hours a day are you actively rowing? Um, so like with being a solo, you can kind of like pick and choose what you do because there's yeah. nobody else. Like the, <laughs> like a four, a four man team, for example, they had, um, they do like two hours on, two hours off. So two guys on the oars and they two, two hours on, two hours off. So they had like a set routine and, and same with a, a pair, you know, it'd be two hours in, two hours out. So they, you know, you could stick to a routine whereas like I could kind of do whatever I want, but, um, you know, so I kind of just uh, mixed it up really. It just all depended. I was pretty flexible. I kind of settled on a lot of, I did a lot of three hours on one hour off and two hours on one hour off. Um, and then I'd sleep a little bit extra at nighttime. So maybe about one o'clock in the morning, um, I'd stop and I'd sleep from sleep to like, I don't know, maybe three hours and I'd be rowing again by, you know, sort of five, half five in the morning. And, but yeah, I was pretty flexible. Like it got pretty hot. Like, it, uh, um, and then there was times in the middle of the day when it was just so hot, like it wasn't worth rowing. I'd stop and, you know, I, 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 you know, chill out a bit and sleep a bit. And then I'd row more in the night and stuff. So it all depended, you know, and then there was times I just couldn't stop rowing because I was getting pushed. I was getting pushed back or I was, oh, yeah. you know, rowing, rowing like with not much wind. And I had like, um, you know, like a little bit of a, a current coming the other way. So I was like having to like push on just to make grounds and stuff. So like, it's, it, it varied a lot, you know, but I'd say, I'd say I definitely rolled at least 12 hours, if not more a day, you know, probably wow. more like I was rowing. I had, probably did towards the end i was doing a lot like because i was trying to finish under 50 days so i was rowing 16 17 hours a day wow, man. were you were you worried about like the big ships or anything like that <laughs> yeah i mean it was definitely a concern you know because there's a lot of big uh oil tankers and cargo vessels out there crossing the atlantic and going in all sorts of directions but um uh we had an ais automatic identification software so that was a system every boat has most boat well most boats at sea have to have it nowadays so you, you'd have a kind of like almost like a radar if something would show up like you know and you could see their call sign and see what um their heading is and stuff like that so anytime i did spot um spot on a big one they were always quite far away you know so i never never got you know very very close to them but i was always able to say like well okay i can see their heading now so i know like if i adjust my heading i'm gonna completely avoid them you know yeah um so that was yeah that was the, probably the, some of the scariest things was at night time like i ran into um ran into some debris and like smacked it at night time when i was asleep like i smacked i don't know what i what i hit the bow of the boat like hit something hard i woke up i was like oh my god i'm after ripping a hole in this you know and it's just um you know it was quite scary so there's like i went through like obviously you're out there for like 50 days you go through nearly like two moon cycles um and like obviously when there's like no moon at all it's like pitch black um and that was quite disconcerting a lot of the time because you you know you w when you had the waves smacking the side of the boat it's you know you just it's catching you off guard and you just don't know what's going on so the nights the nights i found the nights quite tough out there especially when it was um when there was no moon yeah did you hit any big storms or anything like that no we were pretty lucky um like because you're going over at the time so the, the, the row starts in December and you know you're rowing right through to the middle of December through to like February which is obviously the northern hemisphere winter but what happens is a lot of the storms you know that um, that I years ago I would have been surfing um in Ireland are quite far north but a lot of them do push south um and you can get hit pretty hard <clears throat> and what happened is we got a couple in the beginning but they end up 
been like coming behind us so um we didn't get pushed back which is obviously not nice like because you, you have this thing called a sea anchor a big parachute power anchor parachute anchor so you can, if you're getting pushed back the other direction you can put this out and it'll stop you yeah and you might have to just sit on that and you might wait that out for a couple of days but we didn't have i only had to do that like briefly not like very long you know like a few hours at a time but <clears throat> when we first started it was quite crazy we had like straight away we had some quite strong winds and big waves we'd like sort of like four or five meter like you know 20 25 foot like seas but like you know behind us um and like it was yeah like i actually i actually got really into it because i was like surfing these waves yeah, yeah. in the boat and i was going down these waves and i was getting like 15 knots at one stage um like surfing down these waves um and it was actually quite fun because i was making huge ground like i was doing like in 24 hours i did i don't know like i don't know something crazy like 70 miles you know um because i was just like just flying down these waves and then i'd kind of like rattle around at the bottom and then like kind of regain myself and then i'd do another couple of strokes and i'd like lean back and i actually ended up putting a lot of my ballast water into the bow the right up into the nose of the uh the boat so i'd have like more weight so as soon as I like went up this wave, like the weight of it would just shoot me down it. But like I, I came to the point where I was like nearly capsizing at the bottom because I was augering off to the side and stuff. So it was quite, it was quite gnarly. Like I was definitely like I had a like a climbing harness and I was like you know I had a lanyard and I was strapped in like you know because I was like afraid of getting like flung out of the boat. You know. That's crazy, man. Did, uh, did you ever just like? You know, with peaceful waters, not in moments like that. Did you ever just jump over to into the water on the side of the boat oh, yeah. or something yeah yeah i got in a lot like because i wasn't getting washed in the other way so i was jumping in for a swim um and i also had to scrape the bottom of the boat you know i had anti-foul paint on but oh, i still yeah, had yeah. stuff still still had stuff stuff growing on the bottom so i'd get in with like a little scraper and scrape the bottom of the boat um so yeah i, I used to do that and um you know had some pods of dolphins come by and like that was amazing i i, I was actually lying in the cabin one day and you know the you're, you're pretty much right at waterline obviously lying in the in the in the cabin the boat has a little cabin in the front that you can get into and it's got all your like electrics and stuff and you can shut the hatch and you can be safe in there but i was like lying in there and i could just hear the 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 clicks you know the the the, the dolphin sonar um and then i like came out and hopped in and there was like a pod of like 15 that came just swimming around and it was yeah it was pretty pretty special like so yeah, there was some pretty pretty nice moments of that, but then I had a couple of sharks come by as well, like, and that, that stopped me getting in the water for a couple of days. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. What does that feel like? I mean, most people aren't going to experience what it's like to be in the middle of the Atlantic, but then also to jump in, like, and just start swimming, mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean right now. That's crazy. Yeah, like when I before I went out there, you know, I I was um. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna go for a swim and you know get in and all this and you know because I'm a diver and blah blah blah. And, and then when it came, when push came to shove, you know, I kind of looked over the side and I was like, eh, I was very hesitant, you know, because it is. But I always had myself strapped on, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it would just be tragic if you, you know, because the boat could just get away from you, you know. But I never, I never got in on the crazy, you know, the crazy windy days. Yeah. It was always the calm, the calm, calm days, and we had a lot of calm weather. Actually, it was quite a because that route is the trade wind route. So like if you're going to cross an ocean sailing or rowing or otherwise, that's like the safest, easiest route to cross. Cause generally you've got, you know, 80% of the time more, maybe close to hundred percent of the time, you've got like a good trade wind behind you. So it's just pushing you across. Um, so you're getting a lot of help there, but like we had a quite, we had a big lull in the middle, um, which was, which was not nice for obviously for rowing, but it was actually ended up like, it was some of my most memorable moments out there. Uh, like I've never experienced 
solitude, uh, emptiness, calmness um, in like, you know, some of these times when I was just sitting out there where it was just like so flat, like no wind, no sound, nothing, you know, just um, and just trying to like trying to take it all in, you know. That's incredible, man. Uh, what, um, what do people, when you meet somebody for the first time and they're like, you know, getting to know you and stuff and then all of a sudden you just drop it on them like, Hey, yeah. Oh yeah. I solo rode the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> like what are the reactions? Like? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not like, yeah, people, it's hard for people to fathom. I suppose it's not something that's done by a lot of people. So <laughs> they're just like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, yeah it's definitely a good talking point you know but yeah yeah sort of <laughs> pretty try to be pretty humble and not like brag too much you know but, um so i'm not like telling everyone left right and center hey, i rode the atlantic you yeah, know yeah, so yeah. yeah um but yeah i know it's definitely a very very unique experience and yeah to spend 50 days completely on your own is is, is pretty crazy um yeah it's uh you know you're, you're gonna there's no escaping yourself there you know you're gonna you're gonna get through some stuff you're gonna you know learn about yourself uh, um and uh you know hopefully come out the 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 other side of it a better person yeah yeah man where did you end up like where do you finish that at uh you finished in, in antigua so okay. um yeah so right right in the in the middle of the uh the caribbean there so yeah it was pretty pretty crazy i've never been there before and um yeah, like it's quite quite intense coming in there because um, you know there's a rocky sh- rocky kind of it's a rocky island and you got to get you know it's navigating around into this bay and um, yeah, I finished at night time which was um, made it kind kind of a bit more strange because we came into this place called English Harbour and there was all the, there was um, they they had a support boat come out and meet us and you know there was like you know people taking photos and stuff and there's actually a couple of boats there so it wasn't you know it wasn't we weren't completely on your own it was quite a um, it was quite overwhelming actually because when I got in there was all these like massive super yachts I had this like super yacht week there and it was on that week in February <laughs> when I arrived so there was all these like mega yachts there and it was nighttime and they had like their masts all lit up and they just looked like like alien like that's so weird you know, everything just looked completely alien to me because if you can imagine you're just out there in in the ocean and all you're seeing is sky you're seeing clouds and water basically and that's it so it's sort of almost like two, like sensory overload, and I'll never forget. I, I, um, when I rounded the headland into the actual bay, like and I could see all these um, super yachts and stuff with that on the lights. I remember the wind had like shifted, obviously, because I came in around this headland and I got this like whiff of land, and it was like this this smell. I was like, whoa, what's that? It was like vegetation and clay, and I was like, whoa, because it was just like a different smell. I was like, geez, that's what like that's what it normally smells like. I've just all I've smelled is sea air for the last fifty days. So all all of, all of a sudden it was like this like kind of like pungent like vegetation smell. I was like, oh, that's a bit that's a bit odd. And it was just like that like all that kind of like sensory overload was happening. And then um, I got into this English harbor and yeah, these these super yachts started like letting off their horns as I was coming in. And and oh, there was all these yeah yeah there was all these like uh, you know uh, yachties, all these crew members all out on the decks all like cheering me in. And then you come by all this like this massive marina and there's like all these like restaurants and stuff with um you know and people are having dinner but everyone had stopped having their dinner and they all get up and they're like clapping me in and stuff and you go kind of further in then and then there's like this kind of actual proper finish uh, marina where where um like my, my sister was there and a couple of friends and and like there was a whole crowd of people that i didn't know but there were just people that were in antigua that were like oh let's go see this like rower come in this is road across the atlantic so it's just yeah it was crazy and like just to yeah it was almost it was too much almost you know there was like a bunch of cameras in my face and i like got off the boat and i literally couldn't like sound up properly because i was 
spent all that time in this little like 20 foot long boat that was just like moving constantly like so there was never a point where like i could properly stand up like without like you know holding on to something like i had these like jack stays which are kind of like you know just kind of ropes down the side that i'd always have to grab you know like as an example like i like you know i couldn't actually go for um i, I couldn't go for a piss off the side of the boat like it actually wasn't like it would it would like if you try and stand one side of it the whole boat would go over Whoa. so like yeah like it's that unstable you know it's just a small little boat yeah. so i would actually have to go into the cabin like lie down and like piss into like a bottle and then i pour that over the side you know like yeah. that's how like you know so like <laughs> you're just constantly you're constantly uh being like bought you know just moved around the place um, Did you have so yeah, sickness I, at all or no i wasn't too bad like i mean i um obviously sp- I've spent a bit of time at sea, so obviously in bigger boats. But I took some precautions. Like I wore those patches on my yeah. neck, and um, you know, I'd spent a bit of time in the in the training rows and stuff. So I mean, I wasn't seasick, but I I remember my stomach just being off for the first ten days. I wasn't like really, I wasn't really enjoying the food that I was eating. You know, yeah. <laughs> all that all those dried meals got a bit um, got a bit tired of them after after a while. You know, what was the first thing you like after you get on shore? All the craziness happens. Did you just instantly like? go to sleep like go to a hotel and fall asleep or like what was the what did you do <laughs> uh well it was funny we they had like um they had had a bird they had a had a like they'd set up a uh, like a, a little dinner table for you yeah. and they brought out this like burger and stuff and and chips and you had a can of coke and like that the, it, it had actually gone cold because there was a bunch of people talking to me and it was just i it, you know i hadn't got over there in time and so it was kind of underwhelming having the burger, but the can of Coke was, was amazing because I hadn't had anything cold to drink. Yeah. So like when you're out there, you're drinking this tepid, um, uh, desalinated water, you know, that I'd put like, you know, different, uh, you know, hydration tablets into and stuff like that. But like I, it was never, I never had a cold drink. So the whole time I was out there, I was always fantasizing about a cold drink. So, um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that first like cold, cold <laughs> can of Coke was nice. And then after that, uh, my sister was there. She'd organized to come out, and she'd booked a, a hotel up the road. So we just like walked up there, and then um, I ended up getting a pizza and just yeah, crashing out and looking at myself in the mirror for the first time in fifty days. And I'd lost like uh, thirty pounds, you know. Wow. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty scary, like seeing myself in the mirror for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Would you ever do another sea adventure? Or? I actually wanted to roll back from uh, New York to Ireland. Like I actually started to plan it. Uh, while I was out there started getting the idea in my head and I actually shipped the boat from Antigua up to New York and the plan was to row from Battery Park in New York across to Galway where I'm from on the west coast I had it in my mind that like um, you know this would be an incredible adventure but unfortunately what happened is I when I came back I had a pain in my back I had a pain in my back throughout the row like it was kind of like my spinal erectors you know those muscles right down the side of spines they were kind of spasming quite a lot and yeah. like i was always trying to like stretch it out and stuff and you know kind of like fought through the pain and and you know it wasn't that bad but you know it kind of never went away and then i started planning this other row um and like i was going to see my physio and and then eventually like he couldn't figure it out so he said look i think you should go get an mri i went and got an mri and i had a stress fracture in my t7 so yeah i had a you know you know obviously a pretty significant like injury so you know, i had to knock that on the head and you know obviously recover from that so and then after that i yeah the kind of fire left me a little bit um because obviously being injured you know you kind of reevaluate and stuff with like that and yeah i kind of like had to you know 
put the reins on that and I ended up selling the boat then after that because I got approached by a couple of guys who were doing the race the following year and they were um, they were quite desperate for a boat so yeah. kind of was like oh do you want to just like you know get this off your hands right now so I kind of went with that and um, yeah so yeah obviously there's the idea that the inspiration is still there to do something like that but again it's um there's a lot of planning there's a lot of sacrifice it's just it's it's quite tricky the whole thing really just getting it together um like it, it's made something like the Iditarod Trail planning for that seem a lot easier like yeah. you know you've got this you've got a sled for the Iditarod Trail and like like you've got all this gear like it's so much more than you know obviously doing a normal ultra like but it's quite overwhelming for a lot of people like you know to like you know have a stove and tent and extra food and blah 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 but after rowing the Atlantic and dealing with all that crap um you know it's made the Iditarod seem quite simple which it is you know like it's just um it's a bit of gear and you know you get out and you go for a run you know and yeah, yeah. did <laughs> yeah. you end up eating the 90 days worth of dried food <laughs> no I came nowhere close because obviously I, I did it in 50 days and yeah, like 90 yeah. days is a lot of food so yeah I, I I actually I was in this kind of towards the end I was in this race with this other boat and, and there was actually three guys in it I was I I actually finished ahead of them there uh, by about an hour um they they uh, they'd kind of had a lot of problems early on they had a lot of mechanicals and stuff for that and um so they were quite far behind but then they were catching they were catching up all the time towards the end they were like really really close to me by the very end and then you know a couple of days out i was like well i've got all this extra food like and i've got this extra weight can i lose can i lose some of it you know because yeah. i'll be faster if i'm lighter so i ended up like breaking open all these packets of uh freeze-dried food and like emptying it out feeding the fish so i got rid i got rid of a lot of that uh you know but yeah I, I was i was so sick of that food at that stage i actually the last two weeks the only thing i ate was rice pudding you know the like the a dessert yeah so i had all these extra rice pudding desserts and I, that's all i ate for two weeks like um like i was completely rotten from the inside out because i was so sick eating the other ones i had a lot of like curries and stuff like that and they're just not nice to eat when you're at sea you know because you get the repeat onion stuff yeah so i and even with and with all those as well the with the rice pudding ones i would uh i just rehydrate them with cold water so they were easier to deal with i just i wouldn't have to use my i had a jet boil i wouldn't use that at all so i just you know i'd have the them rehydrated i'd have them like kind of stashed all over the place so i'd just be able to just grab one and just like I had them quite watery as well, so I could just drink the whole thing down, which is a thousand calories. Because a lot of these other meals, like they're quite thick and heavy, and you could you having to sit there and eat them, uh, you know, with a you know with a with a like a liter of water, and you'd be trying to like you know take a couple of spoons and then like drink and then you know try and get it all down. Just it took too long, so I just found it more efficient to just like smash this, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> this uh, rice pudding just down into me, you know. So um, I got I got quite yeah. And I think that's an important part of the expedition stuff is that you gotta you gotta get the, the kind of animalistic, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, like you see, you you know, you hear hear of a lot of people who like get stomach issues and stuff like that, and like I empathize with that, and I've had them myself during races and stuff, you know. But like you're, you know, if you're not able to just, uh, you know, if you if you can learn to be not really too fussy and just you know see calories as just fuel and just like force it into you and know because you know you need to get that stuff into you at some stage. Um, you know, just sort of fight through that sort of stuff and, and not be sort of, uh, yeah, as I said, not be too fussy. Yeah. Then you, you know, you're, you're going to be a success. Yeah. I'm imagining you rowing past all the yachts, just like 
staring them down, just eating dried food. <laughs> Actually, I was wearing uh, most of the time. You're not wearing a whole lot of clothes out there, so I was just wearing a pair of boxers or you know a pair of shorts or something. Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of people roll naked out there because um, there's less um, less less chafing and friction. So, but I had one, one thing I had. Um, I kept in one like kind of clean pair of clothes was this uh l- these Irish boxers like they're a pair of uh, green white and or- and, and orange um men's underwear that I got on eBay they were they were called se- sexy men's Irish underwear so uh, I kept these like you know in this Ziploc bag and they were the only clean bit of clothes like everything else was just like you know just destroyed with like salt and yeah. you know like crap you know they were just dirty and horrible and like so I put these on in the last like you know few hours so I had this one like you know I came in kind of looking uh, looking like a wild man with my, my uh, tricolor uh, underwear on. <laughs> You're like, you're welcome, yacht people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. Well, hey, I wanted to uh, kind of – this this last part here. So I wrote down mm. like just a couple different words, and I wanted to get your perspective as someone who's gone on all these adventures. Yeah. Um, I thought of this last night. I woke up at like 1 in the morning to because my 1-year-old woke up. And I had right. this idea. I'm like, oh, it's th- you know how when you sometimes you wake up and you're like, this is the most genius idea I've ever had. <laughs> it was one of those moments. And I'm I'm not 100 percent. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure it's a genius idea, but we'll see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, just your perspective on just a couple different like concepts here. So okay. the first one I wrote down, this is <laughs> this is the one I had in the middle of the night. I wrote wonderment and I'm like. I woke up and looked at that. I'm like, that's, I don't even know if that's a word, man, but just, uh, like wonder and curiosity, like what's your perspective now that you've gone out and you've, you've taken on these adventures? Well, I mean, like it's a great word and wonderment, I suppose, um, is, is one of the, definitely one of the driving forces for getting out there. You know, I mean, that's like, I mean, it's like, I, you know, the, when I got into diving, you know, it was like that. Was, it was just pure wonderment. It was like, what's it like down there? What I mean, what's going on you know, 200 meters below the ocean? You know, and like, what's going on? What's it like to be out in the middle of the ocean? What's it like to be, you know, in the interior of Alaska in, you know, minus 40? Like that's that's wonderment. So yeah, like I mean, that that definitely is for me, like a a real basic driving force, and that's a absolute <laughs> brilliant word, really, because like aside from you know a million other like complex reasons for going out and doing stuff, whatever it is, you know, like you're trying to inspire others or raising money for charity or challenging yourself. Like it's basically like, well, I wonder what it's like, you know, to be in a windstorm in minus 50 in the middle of Alaska, you know what I mean? Or I wonder, you know, whatever it is like, and that, that's that for me, that's, you know, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, the basis. And I think, yeah, like if, if you've got that, you've got that part of you, you know, I suppose like, yeah, nurture that and, 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 and definitely use that, you know, because for me, um, you know, I think everybody has it, but like, you know, whether or not they go through with getting out there, um, is another story because obviously you've got the fear and they're like, Oh, I can't do it. And all the doubt and stuff for that, you know? So, um, that's, you know, coming back to like meeting all the people who do the Iditarod and that community of people and meeting, you know, all the people who rode the Atlantic, like they're all the people that have, had that wonderment and they've gone out and they've like gone well i'm gonna go and see what it's like and i'm gonna put myself in that scenario and see how i you know see how i fare um whereas a lot of people you know they never do that in their lives you know they they they, they spend it you know being fearful and in doubt yeah yeah well um so the next word 
is resilience. Also, thank you for giving me props because I really didn't know if wonderment was a word. So, <laughs> oh no, that was actually a really good one because I've I've thought of that before. So yeah, it's definitely spot on. <laughs> um, how has your thought on uh, thoughts on resilience changed like throughout your lifetime? Um, resilience. Yeah, I suppose it's a funny one because so like I've done all these like you know inverted commas like world's toughest row you know world's coldest ultramarathon you know like blah blah blah. and there's all this like kind of marketing talk around all this stuff yeah and like you know don't get me wrong some of these things are hard and like you know i get a lot of people telling me you know uh oh you're so resilient and you know you're so mentally tough and like i don't think that like mental toughness is exclusive or resilience is exclusive like somebody who does some sort of hard challenge and like everybody has it to some degree in their lives they just have to recognize it um you know and, and and sort of like have perspective you know um you know i mean look at what's happening now with covid19 you know i mean like you know we're being asked you know to stay at home and like people are out there you know in hospitals working and stuff and you know like it's easy to you know do all these like adventures and be in these like tough scenarios and like kind of like get almost like drunk on this like oh i'm so resilient like but you know just day to day um you know people struggling in their lives you know um uh you know that's that's a basic and i suppose for me personally like you know having gone through what i went through like i wanted to take my own life at the age of 19 like you know i i had this alcohol and drug problem i had a tough tough upbringing you know, like I've been through a lot personally and like I, you know, I found all that stuff like a lot harder than, you know, going out to Alaska and like suffering through a few nights of sleep deprivation, yeah. you know, like yeah. that's perspective that I have, you know, like, like all that sort of stuff just I ended up kind of in the midst of it, like as a teenager and like I wasn't, you know, wasn't I didn't really feel like there was a whole lot of choice going on there. Whereas like with regards to like, you know, you know, doing these challenges like ultramarathons, like, you know, it's just an unbelievable privilege to be going to do that stuff, you know, um, and it's a massive choice, you know, it's, a, it's you know, like I'm choosing to go out there and suffer. I'm choosing to be in, in the middle Atlantic, like there's so much happening in the world to people right now that is not their choice, you know, yeah. and they're having to fight through that with their own resilience, you know, and, you know, um, yeah, so it's it's all about perspective when it comes to that, um, and I think like you know it's not an exclusive thing. I don't think it's something that, um, you know, you know people have inherently. I think everybody has it. They just need to recognize it. You know that they've they've been in you know tough situations in their life, and they are they are resilient. You know, so yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, two more. Cool. Uh, what's your perspective on fear? after being in situations where you know i have to assume there is fear involved with crossing the atlantic or doing one of these winter ultras or something like that yeah i suppose i don't know i've got like things kind of backwards in the whole fear element <laughs> of stuff i think like um yeah so i don't have any issue with uh you know doing like you know kind of stuff like that it's surfing sort of, waves with your robot yeah yeah exactly and like you know I, I started paragliding last year and like my first flight was you know quite gnarly actually it was like a you know i got stuck in a thermal straight away and like i'd never done a par and i'd, I'd never done a, a a tandem before i just like the instructor just like you know sent me off the side of this like mountain i just like got sucked up into this thermal so like all that sort of stuff is like for me i don't know like i'm just 
maybe I'm just a bit of a knucklehead or whatever, but I've, <laughs> I've been okay with it. Like, but I, like I struggle in like, you know, like basic stuff. Like, I mean, if I have to like sit down and talk to somebody and yeah. like tell them like my feelings <laughs> and like communicate like, you know, my fears around like, you know, a relationship or like, you know, the, you know, maybe like, you know, uh, telling somebody I'm not happy with them in some way or, you know what I mean? Or not, you know, like to me, like some of that life stuff. You're like, give like, me the Atlantic Ocean, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of like, you know, people who can like, you know, deal with like, you know, domestic stuff and family situations and like sticking relationships and stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, think that's, you know, they have more courage than me sometimes. Like, I just feel like, yeah, maybe I'm just a bit stupid, you know? So yeah, there's different elements of it, you know, but I mean, you know, I suppose we're all on our, on our own little journey. Some people have got to like, you know, do, you know, the, the, the stuff that I do to, to push their, uh, push their boat out. And, you know, for me, I've got to, um, try and be, try and be a better human, uh, with, you know, the people, but that's people around me, but that's the problem that I have is that like, you know, obviously the things that I do are quite like, you know, they're quite, um, they're quite selfish, I suppose, in a lot of ways, you know, like I'm, you know, like when I'm training for like the Iditarod, like it's all about that. And like, yeah. you know, doing that and then i'm going out there and it's yeah can be a lot of be a lot about myself so and then i don't have a lot of energy left for other people so um you know like it's important to you know for me i'm learning to try and yeah like look at look out for other parts of my life you know as well yeah yeah for sure well and that'll kind of lead into the last one um yeah i thought of this word so the last word is contentment and i was just thinking like being an adventurer and exploring the world and seeing so many different parts of the world, but then, you know, right now being isolated in your little yeah. area, you know, like your community, your apartment, your out outward community outside of that. I think you you sent me a message and you said like one kilometer or something like that or two kilometers. Yeah. So yeah, we have a we have a radius. We're allowed. We can't leave a one kilometer radius, yeah. and it's quite strict. Like, as in, you need to know that radius. Like, you, ever, you know, you've got they've got websites set up like a, where you just go and you you know you've got you put in your address and it pops up straight away one yeah. kilometer radius. You know, so that's obviously yeah, it's it's um it's very very different. Like life has changed a lot for for us over the for everyone for the world. You know, so obviously our perspectives are changing, like all these races have been cancelled and people yeah. are like obviously focusing on what's important now, which is like, you know, trying to, you know, fight this um this outbreak and, and hopefully we can get back to a normal way of life. So yeah, like contentment now is I suppose it's pretty relative. Um for me, I suppose the one example I'll give you like is that you know, for me I'm a you know, I I've an addictive personality, you know, like I had like I spoke about this problem with alcohol and drugs. You know, the problem for me was that I couldn't stop. You know, I'd start drinking and I just couldn't stop drinking. It would be like two, three days later. The same thing, I'd take drugs excessively. So that was always in me and I've always seen that and I've always recognized it. And it was it's the same for me in, in adventure. Like I, you know, I gravitate towards like, oh, the longest and hardest, more. It's always about more, you know. Yeah. So I've had to learn like over the years about, I mean, sort of like really trying to stop myself in my tracks, you know, like and a really good example of that would be like a, one adventure that I did a few years ago is that I crossed Lake Baikal in Siberia. So uh, I walked across, like, with the sled, same sort of stuff as you did, Rob, but, like, a solo expedition, um, like, 400, I don't know, like, 30 miles across Lake Baikal. And then, so, when I finished, like, I finished in, like, I don't know, 16, 17 days. And I got to the very end, and, like, again, it was, like, similar to the Iditarod, well, you know, there's, like, nobody there. You know, like, I'm just, like, I had this contact that I was supposed to call, and he was going to go pick me up. But, like, I got to the very end, and I, like, sat, sat on my sled, and um, 
I noticed, like, I was at the end of the lake, there was, like, this kind of marsh that was kind of still frozen, and I said to myself, oh, you're not really at the end there. You could probably go a bit further. And then I was like, hang on a minute, like, just just hold your horses here. Like, you've just walked, like, you know, whatever, 400-odd miles. You've just, like, battled through, like, a night, nightmarish conditions. Like, you've been through it all, and, like, you've got to the end of the lake. You've been, you're at the village at the end of the lake, and there's, like, this little bit more at the end, and you're, like that's i could probably go a bit further you know yeah. and then i just was like stop with you like you're you're done you know so like it's just having that thing of just being content like with what you have and, and i suppose like coming back to what i said earlier um was that like i got to go to alaska and i did the alaska thing and i got back before all the covid stuff so like i am content now and i do feel for people that have been planning like other races and stuff that have been cancelled and stuff for that you know um but like i mean there's more important things right now you know yeah. um and it, yeah you just need to be you need to have perspective and be content. And that's what I'm at right now. I'm just, I am grateful for, for finishing Alaska, but I'm realizing that like, you know, I'm, I'm fit and healthy now, you know, I've got my apartment here, you know, I can get out for my run. Um, I don't know when I'm going back to work, like, or if I'm going back to work anytime soon, cause there's a lot of, you know, stuff there obviously with that. So, um, it's just about, I suppose, keeping things in the day, you know, just not projecting too much, yeah. you know, and just being trying, just trying to be content in, in yourself really. Yeah. Yeah. I re- totally relate to that because, you know, I'm, I have the same, like wanting to keep going and do more and do more and do more. And recently I'm like, how do I slow down and just be okay with what I'm doing right now? You know? Well, I mean, this is, I mean, this, this is why you know there's a there's there's certain um, positives if, yeah. if you can even say that word around the the covid-19 stuff is that like you know we are being forced to stop yeah. you know and take a bit Slow of stock down. and and use that time you know to you know obviously spend every minute of the day with your family as you are but you know like i mean yeah sort of you know just you know reevaluate and, and and sort of not have some next goal you know which is like hard for people because everyone's like oh like i've got my next thing set up here you know and yeah you, you always have that like you know i'm training now and i don't know what i'm training for but i mean i'm, I'm training because i'm able to go outside for an hour and that's you know that's good enough you know it's not it's and, not it's not about it's not about some ultra or some other next next challenge in the moment it's just about you know the, the basics and you know there's nothing wrong with that that's good no and it's i'm finding like oh i'm just appreciating like moving my body right now you know yeah yeah which yeah, when you're training yeah. for things, you can get overwhelmed with like what you Absolutely. have to do that day. So. Yeah, you get into that process stuff where it's like, yeah. you know, you're you're in that like, you know, training process where, you know, you're following a plan and, you know, you're sort of a slave to that, which is good because people need that. People need that sort of structure and routine. And I don't like, you know, I've done a lot of that myself, um, but it's nice to be out of that as well and, 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 and just be, yeah, um, doing it for other reasons yeah man yeah well gavin thank you so much for coming on where can people kind of like follow your adventures your future adventures uh, wherever that may be uh, i think instagram is easiest to like most people it's uh uh at solo gav but it's s-o-u-l-o-g-a-v and then there's my, my i've got a website on there but i i don't really do too much on on that but yeah most um if you want to read a little bit about the um the Iditarod, i did a, a series of posts there that was the last thing i put up nice um, kind of like day-to-day um, happenings out there and uh yeah there's a bunch of did you start them all with like still cold <laughs> day three still cold yeah, yeah. <laughs>
yeah, just no, I just kind of descended more and more craziness as it went on. It's just like a a, a, a tale of uh, yeah, just descending further and further into delirium. Oh, sweet man, <laughs> I'm totally reading them right now as soon yeah, as we're yeah. done talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. Like, I really, yeah. really appreciated it. And you know, I don't know if you ever make it to Denver for any uh, fun adventures, but but let me know if you do. Yeah, hopefully one day get out there for Hard Rock. That's obviously if that's ever. <laughs> ever that could ever Dude, happen oh my god <laughs> like seeing I, I don't know about running it for myself but seeing the course somehow is yeah. on my bucket list like that yeah. looks amazing so yeah it does yeah, yeah. no the mountains over there i just yeah i love i'd love I've, I've been to aspen and went, like did a bit of skiing there briefly yeah. for years ago but yeah i'd love to get out there in the summer so yeah cool, man. hopefully one day cool all right, all right man we'll talk to you later cool cheers chris yeah see you man all right Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode uh, as much as I did. Um, I think I mentioned it last week, but I'm hoping when I post these, um, I usually send a little message to the person who I'm doing the summer replay about. And I'm just like, man, I'm just so honored that I had the opportunity to chat with you a few years ago. Um, I've been continuously inspired by all of these people, um, obviously like through social media and, and things like that, you can kind of see their journey and their, their, the continued journey that they've been on and some of their adventures that have happened after we recorded the episode. And so, you know, I definitely, uh, continue to be inspired by Gavin and everybody really that has been on the show. Um, and I hope that by reaching out, they can see like just how much it meant to me. Like this dude gave me an hour of his time and yet it's a conversation I still think about and still try to apply some lessons from. Uh, and I hope, you know, there's episodes for you. It's just funny cause like we're all different. We're all different people with different perspectives. And um, I'm hoping that for you listening out there, there are episodes uh, that meant, a lot to you where you got to learn something that stuck with you or whatever. And it's probably different for all of us, you know? Um, and for me, each episode that I record, there's always something new that comes up, whether it's a story, whether it's a piece of wisdom, a piece of advice, um, that I think about. And it's now it's a part of me. It's this idea. It's, it's this whole thing of how we share ideas and how, by listening to Gavin, I can get something in my brain that can help me on a future adventure or just a future, um, you know, life battle, whatever that may be. And I think by doing this and sharing these ideas and sharing these stories and this inspiration, we can all benefit from that. And that's kind of one of the, one of the things I've realized from doing the podcast is just, if this is beneficial to me, then hopefully by sharing it, it's spreading that goodness, that idea of, you know, positivity out there in some form or another. Uh, because ultimately when I look at my core values, um, I think my mission on the planet is just to spread goodness um, in whatever form and fashion that takes. And I don't always reach that like that's my high watermark for myself um and of course we're not always reaching it 24 7 in our lives um, but i think doing this podcast really helps me at least consider that core value every single week 
Um, and then ultimately the other thing I've learned from doing this, this show is like, dude, how many amazing human beings out there are just doing really cool stuff? Like people are out there and they're just doing amazing things uh, every single day. And to be able to have a platform where I get to talk to people doing these amazing things and hopefully letting them share their stories and spread that goodness. Like I'm just incredibly honored to do that. Um, so thank you, Gavin. Thank you for sharing some time with me two years ago. Uh, I've really appreciated it. Hope you all have too. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another uh, summer replay edition of Like a Bigfoot podcast.